Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 53. I am your host, Bree at Breezy Clee, and tonight we are down a person. It is just me and Meredith uh, on the podcast tonight. Meredith, hello. Hello. Happy Monday, Giving Tuesday. Yeah, I actually have no idea what day it is. They're all just blending together. After oh the my weekend. God, I know. And then we'll we'll talk about this at some point during the episode today, but this Raven Steelers game, I oh, think, boy. has all of our like days of the week caliber completely messed up. For sure. So we are missing Miss Brittany tonight, Miss Mollis, because she is under the weather. We hope that she is feeling better and she's able to join us next week. But as of right now, she's on the COVID reserve list for us. So we will see if she can get reactivated for next week. Um, okay, before we kick off the show tonight, we've got plenty to talk about from a Browns perspective. Um, but again, as a reminder, um, tomorrow is Giving Tuesday. I was premature last week when I announced this. For some reason, I always thought Giving Tuesday was the day before thank or the week of Thanksgiving. But it's, I guess, always the first week of December. I don't, I have no idea. No, that doesn't make sense either. When is it? <laughs> but it, I, feel it like it sense. I feel no. like it would make sense. I feel like it would make sense. Well, because December 1st isn't always on a Tuesday. You're right. I feel like that it would, was stupid. <laughs> I, feel like it, I feel like it would make sense that it would be the week of Thanksgiving, right? Giving? Yeah, I'm very confused. But anyway, Tuesday, it's Giving Tuesday. I was a week ahead. Um, As you all know, we're working to raise money for the Providence House, a local organization in Cleveland. Um, And so far, we've raised over $1,400 and counting. Um, So many of you have also sent gifts already to Providence House. Um, So for that, we thank you. If you still want to get involved, we will be accepting donations through Sunday. And at that point, we will be ordering everything to make sure that they get them in time for their parent holiday shopping event. If you guys need details, you can find it pinned to my Twitter page. And then we also have it posted on our website at www.girlgangcle.com. Again, we thank you so much. And thanks for making this year end on a much brighter note. All right, so the Cleveland Browns, Meredith. Eight and three, baby. Have a 74% chance of making the playoffs after a rompous victory (laughs) over the Jags. One in nine. I guess, yeah, no, they're one in 10. Um, Beating them 27 to 25. Um, As we mentioned, the Browns are eight and three. And the most important thing so, normally at this point, the Browns would be mathematically eliminated from the playoffs. Very true. But now they are mathematically eliminated from having a losing season. That's way more fun. <laughs> right? Way more, yeah, because normally in this circumstance, we're talking about the draft at this point in time. Like, we've never actually had December football matter. Yes. And we and Coach, Coach Stefanski today was even asked about December football and potentially January football. <laughs> Can you imagine? Oh, my God. The Cleveland Browns playing in January? I mean, that's – I have chills. I just got chills. I know that's exciting. So uh, the Browns definitely have a clear path to the playoffs. Uh, the game against the Titans this week is going to be a huge test. Um, I think Ooh. they are up for it. Uh, the Titans are easily the hardest team outside of the Steelers, I believe, that the Browns are going to face. Like we thought the Ravens were going to be a lot better than they were, but the Steelers have come out of the woodwork 
being completely undefeated, which is just mind-boggling yeah, with, you know, Ben Roethlisberger. And then the Titans, I did not expect the Titans to be this good. So they're going to be an extremely tough team. Um, so this is going to be a huge test for the Browns. But even if the Browns lose to the Titans, they still have a clear path to the playoffs. Yeah, I really just want them to win because I'm yes. sick. I'm sick of hearing about how the Browns still can't be taken seriously at eight and three. I know. What other eight and three team gets this? I feel like maybe the Bills because the Bills are also eight yeah. and three. Like, mm-hmm. are are people saying that about the Bills too? Because they've also been historically bad. But I don't know. Like, it's such a strange thing to have a team so far over five hundred and people still discounting them. Yeah. So I think this one. If they win, awesome. Hopefully that shuts a lot of people up or takes the Browns seriously. But if they lose, it's just going to continue to feed into the narrative. Well, they were never good anyway. I know. And it's funny because if they win every single game for the rest of the year but lose to the Titans, it'll still be that same narrative. But if they go through the rest of the season with a loss against the Titans and then win out, they're in the playoffs. Yeah, I don't care. And that's like, just get there, you know? Just get there. I don't care how you do it. That's a 12 and four season if, if that's the way this shakes out. Yeah. Well, you know, it was nice yesterday actually watching the game. Mm-hmm. They got to play in normal weather, oh which we God, haven't yes. seen. Um, uh, yes. According to actual football players, <laughs> that is football weather. I yes. don't care what the comment Karens on Twitter say. The Dales and the comment Karens. About yes, the weather Dales. Weather. Oh my God football weather like when super bowl winning football players are saying that football weather is 70 degrees and sunny i'm gonna i'm gonna take the word over a former nfl player rather than some dale hiding behind like an ohio state avatar or something a picture of bucky the buckeye yeah i was a little nervous though because based on how the game started out for the browns i was very nervous because we had a really bad offensive series in really good weather. (laughs) Yes. There was no wind, no hail to blame. Um, So anyway, last week we talked about, we made a list of all the things that we were thankful for. And I really liked that theme leading into Thanksgiving. But the truth of the matter is, we are still very, very thankful after last week. And before we go to recap the game, we just had to give a shout out to Kelly Brownson, the Browns chief of staff, because she filled in yesterday as the tight ends coach, making history in the NFL. Um, I would say the Browns continue to impress when it comes to things of this nature. And it feels really good to be on the good side of history. Yes. And I, and I, I'm going to reiterate the thankfulness for Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski because they were the ones who brought in Callie. Like they looked at this woman and said, it does not matter that this is a woman. She has talent and she's going to go far in the NFL. And they brought her in and I thought she did an excellent job yesterday. I'm so thrilled that Callie is part of the organization and I hope she's part of it for a very long time. Yeah, she's amazing and representation matters. And there were a lot of little girls probably watching that. and inspired and this was the same weekend you know the the kicker from Vanderbilt that also debuted yes Sarah Fuller I think her name yes yes thank you that my her her name um it's been a long day like I can't even (laughs) I know what I'm saying right now I know it is it has been yeah it's been a long year (laughs) and I feel like things are just like calm like we're getting so close to the end of 2020 that I just feel like things are starting to like 
culminate after just this whole year of stress. Like that's all it's been. Like this year has been nothing short of stressful. So I completely, I completely see where you're coming from, but yeah, Sarah Fuller, um, kicking for Vanderbilt. Um, yeah, that was, that was an interesting weekend down in Nashville. Yeah. Just monumental football for women this weekend, which is, you love to see that. You love to see things going in that direction. So speaking of monumental, Jarvis Landry had a pivotal breakout game. I think we've all been waiting for this from Jarvis, and he was spectacular. He finished with eight catches, 143 yards, and a touchdown. His first of the season, if you can believe that. And That's he's insane. Isn't it? He's been on it took pace. this long. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's, he was on pace for get, having his lowest targets, yards, and touchdowns in a season. Um, so I'm really happy for Jarvis that he had this game, and I hope he becomes more involved in the offense as they move forward. He just seems to be the glue that mm-hmm. that holds the receiving team together, even if he doesn't have these big yardage games. Yeah, and I think the thing that I love the most about Jarvis is that he's been playing his role yes. the entire season with zero complaints. You know, it's been a lot of drawing defenders away, a lot of throwing up blocks, just doing whatever was asked of him knowing that he wasn't going to be putting up big numbers and he did it anyway with zero complaints and he was happy to do it. And I, and I think that this was his reward game, you know, the Alex Van Pelt and Kevin Stefanski recognized that, you know, Jarvis has been a team player. So they said, okay, we're going to feed him as much as possible this weekend and going against the Jaguars. This was the weekend to do it. Yeah, I totally agree. And I love how you said too, that he doesn't complain. He does his job and even though he's getting a really big paycheck from this team and organization, nothing is beneath him. And I think we've talked about this before, but there have been time and time again where we've witnessed Browns players getting paid a lot of money that actually don't play as hard as Jarvis does. So happy that he was rewarded for his efforts. He continues to be a crucial player playing through injuries, just playing really inspiring football. So Jarvis really happy for him and happy birthday to him too. He, he, I think he called himself an old man at the age of 28. So, so have you, have you never heard of the golden birthday before? No. So your golden birthday is the year that you turn the age of your birth date. So he turned 28 on the 28th. Oh, I yeah. never so heard of that. So yeah, it's the so day it's you golden- were born? Uh, yeah. So like if you were born on like December 1st, that means that your first birthday is your golden year. Oh. If you're born on December 31st, that means you're, when you turn 31, that's your golden year. I was born on April 2nd, so I didn't even get to celebrate my golden birthday. <laughs> so the only reason I know this is because my old roommate, um, when I lived in DC, she, like birthdays are the most important thing to her. She absolutely loves them. So she was born on the 26th of February. So when she turned 26, that was her golden year. And we meaning like me, my boyfriend at the time, her boyfriend at the time, decorated our entire apartment in nothing but like gold party things uh, as a surprise for her. So, and her best friend too. So we threw like a mini small surprise party with just the whole apartment decked decked out in gold. So that's why I knew it. And I don't think that people picked up on that because he was even asked by somebody in the press conference, like, oh, golden years, you're not old. And I was like, no, he's talking about his golden birthday. I had no idea. I was also confused. Well, thank you for enlightening me. <laughs> I, I do my best. I feel like that's like a really niche thing because I hadn't heard of it either until my roommate was obsessing over it. So I was like, all right, 
you're, this is important to you, so we're going to deck the apartment out in gold things. We'll see how many of our listeners comment if they know. I'm really, really curious if other people know about this too. I feel very in yeah. the dark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you know anything about your golden year or if you celebrated your golden year, like tweet at us, let us know. Yeah, and, and so to transition kind of to the other side of the ball for a minute because someone else had a breakout game that we weren't expecting. It was not his golden birthday. Oh, boy. Not that I know of. Oh, boy. Mr. Mustache. Anderson Dejo. <laughs> he just, yeah, Was this the I game mean, that we've been waiting for from him? I had no idea. But, and it's really funny because he still had some really terrible plays, but he had more. <laughs> <laughs> he had, he had some like noticeable blocks and noticeable tackles in the defense which I think is like what it was because he was still terrible in the game yesterday but I think because he actually contributed like a little bit everyone's like oh it's bare minimum man like the bar is the floor for Andrew Sandejo I mean imagine if I would have told you he would have been one of the best defensive players on the field against the Jaguars like two weeks ago (laughs) would you have believed me no, I would have thought you were smoking something. Yeah, which that's a problem, probably. <laughs> if he was one of the best players on the defense, that tells you how bad the defense was in total. I mean, obviously, without having Miles Garrett, not having Denzel Ward, those are two big impact players that you're going to feel. But it yeah. felt like the last couple of weeks, we've had players that have been able to step up into roles or some turnovers. I felt so confident in this defense that I started them as my captain. Oh, no. The you're the captain? What? what? Do you want to know who I had as my captain before Jarvis Landry? And then five minutes before the game, I was like, I'm going to, I'm just going to, I'm going to take no. a you, Oh, no. You would have won if you had kept Ugh. it. Just, oh, let no. me just throw up. I mean, they made Mike Glennon look like, <gasps> oh, I don't know, God. Aaron Rodgers. It was so weird. Well, and like here, so here's another thing that um, someone pointed out that the defense tends to cause turnovers. Like even yes. though they're not great and they haven't been great and it's been miles or nothing, there have been so many times where they have forced fumbles, have intercepted, like last week, Sione Takitaki had his pick six. Like this defense, even though they're not great, have been making plays. And this was the first game that they didn't, I uh, have a force a turnover. I know. And I know no one cares about my fantasy team. I really don't either. But in my mind, <laughs> in my mind, I was like, okay, regardless of how many holes we have on the defense, we're playing against Mike Glennon, who hasn't, who hadn't started a football game since 2017. They, they don't really have an offense. All their wide receivers are out. We're out for the most part. I was like, okay, they, they should at least be able to get some pressure, force a turnover. I don't know, maybe look like Carson Wentz and just float one out there for the team but lo and behold Ronnie Harrison I knew immediately when he was out when he got injured on the first defensive play I know I was like this "This is a really really bad sign it's not going to go well the rest of the day I know and this was supposed to be his revenge game too because the Jaguars looked at him and said now we don't want you yeah that he has to be so disappointed I know because you just want to run it up on your old team. And I'm really upset that they made Mike Glennon look so good. Cause yeah, that's, that's annoying. I don't have anything against Mike Glennon personally, but I have a lot of things against his brother, Sean personally, cause I actually went to school with Sean Glennon and he is, um, he's a tool and oh. I was not a big fan of his. So I feel bad that I constantly root against Mike because of his brother, but I do. 
Yeah. It's fair. I was just like, annoyed just because... against the Glennon family completely. <laughs> I was just annoyed because we've been in the office. We've been on the opposite end. So we've had many Mike Glennon moments for the Browns mm-hmm. and they've never looked that good. <laughs> I know. Playing against a, a team that had a winning record, you know, like the so frustrating. Although I tell you what, like one thing that happened in yesterday's game that just felt so on the other end of the spectrum was how many times in the past, in the past three years, even has either Hugh Jackson or Freddie kitchens called for a two point conversion play and it failed. And then the Browns lose yes. by yes. three, five, whatever. And that's what happened to the Jags yesterday. And that's all I could think about yesterday after the game. I was like, this is complete opposite of what we've been experiencing. We are not like, we haven't seen something like that happen to somebody else because for the longest time, it always felt like there were these games where the Browns looked like they were going to win. Like there was one game, I think it was two years ago against green Bay. And it really, really looked like the Browns were going to win that game. And then just something happened at the end of the game that lost it for them. And there have been so many games like that, whether it's a failed two point conversion uh, a missed kick, uh, RIP Austin Cyber. Just what? Just something stupid. When you get so excited, looking at a potential Browns win, and then you're like, okay, well, you know, one and fifteen, zero oh, and sixteen, six and ten, and now the Browns on the are on the other side of it. They've got, you know, they're have the Browns made a two point conversion. I don't know if they've like called that, but there was one fourth down that the Browns didn't convert yesterday. But overall, this season they've been converting a lot of fourth downs. They've they they've been able to convert on third downs and fourth downs and we've got a kicker that is make like I'm still going to go with perky, perfect parky cuz I think there's only one <laughs> one kick this season that he missed that was his fault. So, I mean, and that's just it was it was a very weird experience to be on the other side of that and I just like I said, that's all I could think about yesterday was this was like the Jags this year were the Browns last year. Yeah, and I hate to even bring this up, but I'm I'm going to bring it up because it's annoying because you're you're talking about how things seem to be working in the Browns' favor or being benefited from it. The one thing that still just plagues the Browns are the freaking refs. Oh, my God, yeah. They were extremely suspect in yesterday's game, um, and I don't think it could be something to be ignored. And had we lost the game somehow, there would have been a couple of key moments that were directly related to poor officiating, in my mind. Oh, yeah, like um, calling a targeting on Olivier Vernon. That I mean, there were a lot of things you could list out. And, and Pass interference call that wasn't really pass interference. Yeah, and then it's, it's already hard enough to win in the NFL. And then adding another obstacle into that makes it even harder. So I have to ask the question, are we biased as fans, being Browns fans, or does this happen as much to other teams? Because it doesn't feel as noticeable, but it could be because I don't actually have a rooting interest when I'm watching other teams play. I think if, I feel like it happens with losing teams because when I was in Washington and uh, wash, watching the Washington football team as closely as I'm currently wa- watching the Browns, it felt like that all the time. It felt like it was always the refs calling something stupid. I don't remember it as much um, when I was covering the Titans, but I think it just feels like when you have a losing team or when you have a crappy team that the refs are kind of biased, but it's just, 
It never I felt that way when the Browns were losing though. Yeah, you know? I know. That's one of the things like, I feel like I just need to start watching. Cause I, I obviously watch the Browns game closely and then watch other games casually. I feel like I need to just like randomly pick a team in every single game and say, okay, I'm going to be a, yeah, I'm going to be a, like, I'm going to watch like the saints this weekend and I'm going to be a diehard fan of the saints for this one game. And I'm going to pay attention to how the refs treat them. Like, I feel like I need to do that to, to really kind of figure it out because I feel like you're right. And it's very frustrating. And I hate to be the person that blames the refs because it should never be the ref's fault or you should never it shouldn't the, come down to that. Yeah, exactly. You should never be in a position where a botched call by a referee determines the game. Yes. But yesterday it felt especially heinous. Yeah. And when they say games come down to inches, well, there were certainly inches that made a huge difference yesterday. Yes. And, and that was the fourth and in inches that didn't get converted. It's, it's interesting though, because I'm in a family group text as we watch the games, I'm in our friendship group text as we watch mm -hmm. the games. And it appears Baker Mayfield is never on the favored side of getting calls. And he's been called for quite a few intentional grounding um, penalties this year, which I think a couple of those have been pretty controversial. And in our family group text, my dad sent a message out and said, Aaron Rodgers would never get that penalty. And it's so true. There, there does seem to be like clear quarterback bias when it comes to penalties and who gets them in their favor and against them. Like Ben Roethlisberger is another one who I feel like gets so many roughing the passer calls. Um, and I believe Miles Garrett had one against him a, a couple years ago against Big Ben. But Baker Mayfield never seems to be <laughs> – on the good side of the penalties. He, yeah. he seems to be someone that for whatever reason gets the short end of the stick. Now what I can't remember if it was you or Brittany that tweeted this, but I remember seeing it from one of your guys' Twitter page where it was uh, retweet. If you remember when Baker got hit in the head, me. that was you. Yes. That's what I thought. I was, I was sure no. it was you, but it could, it could have been Brittany. And I was sitting there and I was like, yes, because I feel, what was it like his freshman year where he had like some direct yes. targeting Yes, and it, was, it wasn't called. I will never forget this. The game was against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And we ended up losing the game, I think in overtime. The Browns hung in it. Baker Mayfield came back. And, and he had a running play where he was running and then slid. And whoever went to tackle him directly targeted his head. Mm -hmm. And they, like, threw a flag. And then they picked the flag up. And they were like... <laughs> Yes, I remember was, that. The quarterback was a running runner, therefore he was allowed to be hit yes. in the head. And I was like, in what world <laughs> is anyone allowed to be hit in the head? Like those are legit calls that you make because you don't want players to get hit helmet to helmet. Like what? I know that's I like love. saying I know that's like saying if you know Nick Chubb got hit in the head, he would always be allowed, right? Because he's yes, always a exactly. runner. Exactly. Exactly. Yes, I remember that. I wonder if it's like the older established quarterbacks that they give those yeah. kinds of calls to, but it, I, it to also, be. but it also makes me wonder that, you know, if say eight years down the road, when Baker sort of, you know, towards the end of his career, is he going to get those same calls that Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, Tom Brady, that they all get, or if it's just one of those people decided they didn't like Baker because it was making me think a little bit about Bryce Harper when he first came into the league. He was loud. He was brash. He's still loud. He's still brash. And I remember his rookie year, 
every pitcher wanted to bean him. Like I very specifically remember a game against the Phillies where Cole Hamels just nailed him in the back and he was asked about it after the game and, and Cole pretty much said straight up, yeah, I did that on purpose because I wanted to teach him a lesson. And I just like that infuriated me. I was like, you know what? If you want to teach Bryce Harper a lesson, uh, if you want to teach Bryce Harper a lesson, you strike his ass out. You don't yes. fucking bean him. Sorry, you don't bean <laughs> him in the back. Sorry, I'm still heated about that. And I almost feel like that it's kind of like that with Baker Mayfield because he's, especially when he first got in the league, he was very outspoken. He had this huge personality coming into the league. He was already having a target on his back for, you know, the running from the cops for the you know, sideline yeah. antics for planting the flag in the middle of the, the Ohio State. Oh, like he, is, he had just done so much that I feel like he's going to kind of be like the Bryce Harper of the NFL where everyone's looking at him like this young, young superstar who is loud and says a lot of things on social media and calls people out and does this and that does that. And to his credit, he's not done that at all all this year like the yeah. most creative he's gotten is with his quotes and press conferences yes. you know so I it, it almost feels like even if he because Bryce Harper is kind of tamed over the years he's nowhere near as loud and brash as he used to be but he still gets treated the same even though he's one of the you know one of the top players in Major League Baseball so I almost wonder if Baker kind of just since he came into the league guns blazing if he's just gonna if it this is just how it's gonna be for him for the rest of his career is actually a really good segue because we're gonna talk about baker um because th there's a lot we can talk about him in in this topic and we're gonna start with his play yesterday specifically because overall he had a pretty good game and he still gets a ton of criticism regardless of his play on the field so overall, he was 19 for 29, 258 yards. He threw for two touchdowns and had a quarterback rating of 116. He also ranked in the top five graded quarterbacks over the last six weeks. Um, above him is Mahomes, Watson, Rogers, and Cousins. So pretty good company there. Um, mm -hmm. All of that said, a few episodes ago, we talked about Baker being confusing. And he still is. He's capable of making some of the most difficult throws on the field, but also missing the wide open ones. And he's also polarizing. We just talked about that. So for whatever reason, it always seems like his misses get talked about more than the things he does right or his more incredible passes. And this definitely rings true from both a media and a fan perspective. So I wanted to ask you, Meredith, what overall rating would you give Baker yesterday like I test alone and do you think the criticism is fair so for yesterday I would give him I would give him a solid b um you know he could be straying into you know that b minus c plus territory because of that complete botched throw when he missed a wide open Hollywood Higgins which was probably the worst throw of the day in the entire league and that's a little unforgivable, but overall, like how many times did he connect with Jarvis Landry? Like how many times did he execute a running play? He did. And that's why his numbers were so good. And I kind of wrote this down. I was trying to get my thoughts out about it. And I feel like people just want Baker to carry the game on his back mm -hmm. every single game. And that's just not who he is. Maybe someday he can turn into that guy. But as of right now, where we are in 2020, Baker Mayfield is not the quarterback that's going to, you know, throw for 500 
plus yards. He's not going to be throwing like 80 plus yard receptions down the field every single game. That's just not who he is. And Brittany's um, analogy of him last week was absolutely perfect. He is the Nissan Maxima or whatever. He's not a (laughs) Tesla. He's not an Acura. He's not a, you know, he's not a Maserati. He's not a Lamborghini. Like he isn't flashy. He isn't fancy, but he's going to get you to where you need to be. And he's going to do it reliably. And that's what the Browns need. So I just, I love Brittany's analogy for that last week so much. And I wrote that down in our rundown because I wanted to bring that up again, because that's exactly what he was yesterday. He was your perfect Honda Accord yesterday. He was your perfect, you know, Nissan Maxima, whatever you like. He was a Toyota Camry. By perfect. the way, that was, I think, the episode that never got released. Was <laughs> that it? Was, yeah, that was a great analogy and oh, no one ever no, even heard right. it. Oh, my God. <laughs> now, like, now I feel bad. Like, I kind of, like, almost stole her thunder some because that was her analogy. No, it's, it's, <sighs> you gave her, you gave her credit. Um, yeah. I wish Brittany were here to talk about the subject again because it feels like we have a segment on Baker every single, every single week, which is yeah. fine. He's the quarterback. We, we probably should. Um, and, and I'm going to start with this first. I live game tweet in case you guys miss that. If you follow me on Twitter, if you haven't noticed. noticed. (laughs) Have not noticed at all. (laughs) I am reacting in game to what I'm actually watching. It doesn't translate into my overall feelings about an individual player or even the team in its whole. Like it's just true reaction for me. Um, And as I had a moment to kind of reflect on what I was seeing and watching, um, I had a a moment to go back and just rewatch that play to Higgins. And I will... I won't forget my husband as the play was unraveling was screaming. He's wide open. You can't get more wide ass open than that. I mean, literally as it was happening and I went back and like watched it probably four or five times. And yeah, it was a really, really bad miss, but like, do I expect him to be perfect every single throw? It feels like I, me want him to be perfect every throw and that's not going to happen. And I have to just remind myself, yeah, we should all strive for perfection, but there's going to be overthrows. There's going to be misses. It's not going to be, we're not going to get a perfect game from Baker. And for whatever reason, that seems to be what fans expect when you watch the game. Like it's like, it's like he has to be perfect or he's not good enough. So I'm going to make another analogy yes. uh, for Baker where he is, he's, he's your child. Like he's like little dude or he's yes. like Layla. Children aren't perfect. They're going to make mistakes. Like you love your children. And they're great children, but they're going to do bad things because that's yeah. what kids do. And in the moment, you're upset at them for doing those bad things, but it doesn't mean they're not good kids. Yes. And it doesn't mean you don't love them. And that's Baker Mayfield. Yes, exactly. He's our child. Yes. And as I have a minute to reflect on my child after the game, I come back to that conclusion. Like, I still love him. I still support him. I want him to do well. And I think for me, like, is the criticism warranted? Yes and no. My expectations continue to raise each week as the season continues for Baker. Um, and I love watching like the gritty Baker Mayfield when he makes those thread the needle throws to Jarvis Landry that shouldn't even be made. Like they shouldn't get there. Um, but I want to see him make the easy ones too. And it just seems like he's still not 100% sure of himself. Like there's some jitters. Um, it, I, I, I oftentimes too wonder if he's worried about getting over the line, throwing over the line. Mm-hmm. And, and settling into the pocket. And, and we know he's not as mobile as a Russell Wilson, you know, another quarterback that's six feet tall. But he has to start trusting himself and shifting, moving around in the pocket to be able to get around the line and make those throws. Um, and again, I think watching back 
Hollywood Higgins on the route too. I think he did slow down a little bit. So the timing might've been a little bit off there as well. So again, listen, I'm not going to kill Baker for that throw, but I was expecting like, given that there was no weather impact that we wouldn't see him sail as many balls. So um, that was my one disappointment about Baker. But again, listen, we won the game. doesn't matter. You know, like that throw would have been nice, but at the end of the day, like he, he made some pretty important throws as well. Yeah. And then another thing I wrote down when I was trying to get my thoughts about Baker out on paper so I could organize them uh, last year, his interceptions were a plague. He had 22 yes. interceptions. Like the only quarterback that had more interceptions than he did was Jameis Winston. Like it was absolutely awful. And he has done a great job of cutting down the plays where the other team, where he's giving the other team the opportunity. Like he, I think the stat I saw that in the last 123 pass attempts, He's yes. had zero interceptions. That's great. Like, that's what we need. And, you know, there are some things like he needs to settle. I think, you know, on some of those plays, you could tell that he wasn't settled. I think his adrenaline was kind of kicking in. I think that's one of the reasons why he overthrows a lot. And I think on the missed throw to Hollywood Higgins specifically, like if you watch it closely, his feet never stopped moving yeah. the entire time. So mm -hmm. he never actually planted his feet and, and got himself into position. So, and I honestly feel like, these are little things that can be corrected. Like he knows, he tweeted after the game that he knows he can be better. So it's not like he's not aware. So I think it's one of those things where he's, you know, obviously going to watch the film and look at it. And these things are fixable and they're a much easier fix than 22 interceptions. Yes. And you touched on it. He has been pretty quiet on social media throughout the year, but he did tweet out like immediately after the game I know I can be better and I will be job isn't finished. A lot of ball left. We're eight and three and not satisfied. That's the best part of the team. So he was pretty forthcoming about his particular play and not being satisfied. And then what I liked the most was that his entire team and his teammates kind of rallied behind him. I saw multiple players either respond or quote tweet that quote from Baker um, mm -hmm. Jarvis being one of them. Um, and then Mac Wilson, of course, Mac Wilson. <laughs> Oh, Mac. I got into Twitter it with MVP. Caitlin. I know. I got into it with Caitlin uh, yesterday on Twitter about Mac Wilson. And I was, I was honestly just being annoying about it just because I, I told her, I was like, listen, I'm going to die on the Mac Wilson Hill. And that's exactly what I did. So she had tweeted out about defending Baker and I responded, yeah, that's, that's me when you say mean things about Mac Wilson. <laughs> Yeah, there was one play yesterday where I, I texted the group, like, it looks like Mac Wilson is playing in slow motion, <laughs> but everybody yes, else is playing that. in full speed. Yes. I, <laughs> Listen, if Andrew Sandejo can get, like, two quality tackles, Mac got, like, half of one, so he's, he's getting there. If Andrew Sandejo can get some quality tackles, then so can Mac Wilson. Oh, man. Yeah, the, the team, though, you know, going back to Baker's quote, the maturity level seems seems to be there last year. I think it was a little bit questionable. And then it, the team just feels different as a group overall. Yes. That um, is, this team is so different in a great way. This yes. Year. They continue to battle adversity week to week. They're able to close games that they haven't been able to do in the past. So I, I pose this question. I know that it's been kicked around a little bit on Twitter because the Browns for whatever reason have been in close games. It seems like every single game this year, win or loss. Um, outside of getting blown out the first weekend against the Steelers, but whatever, we'll, yeah, those are behind us. Um, <laughs> but is this the 2020 version of the cardiac kids? 
I feel like if they make the playoffs, then we can make that comparison. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I want to make that comparison if they somehow miss out on the playoffs, you know, because I just don't, you know, I don't want to disrespect the cardiac kids because they hold a very special yes. place in Brown's history. So I think if, you know, if the Browns continue to battle out for the rest of the season and they manage a playoff spot, which they have a very good chance of getting, I do feel like it is a fair comparison, but as of right now, not yet. Yeah. It's fun though, man. Like being in this moment is fun. And it's really sad to me that some fans just can't even enjoy it because they're too busy nitpicking and picking apart things. Like just enjoy it. Yeah. That's the card. The cardiac kids were before most of us were born. Yes, exactly. Like I know, I know they were before you or I were born. And so it's not like we got to experience that when it happened. So, you know, maybe we do kind of get to look at this and say, all right, this is, this is the Browns that are going to give us a heart attack every single week, but they're going to come out with a two point win over a one in nine Jaguars. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I will say my kids, I've been screaming a lot. Oh no. (laughs) Oh no. So now they just associate like Browns football with like, this is when mommy's loud and screams. (laughs) Which, you know, I didn't really have to do a lot the past couple, like last year, really not at all. I mean, I was, I was more mad than yelling, exciting things. Um, but this is my, this must be what my parents felt like back in those days. Oh yeah. Where you're just like constantly screaming around yeah. your kids. I don't know if, um, I don't know if I've ever necessarily had that, uh, experience. I do know <laughs> my, um, my aunt, one of my aunts back home. Um, her son, my cousin, my youngest cousin, he's 14 now. And when he was around the ages of like five or six, I wasn't allowed to watch hockey over at her house, even though my uncle would want to watch hockey with me just cause, um, yeah, I, I couldn't, I, I couldn't stay five-year-old appropriate <laughs> when I watched hockey. So my aunt was like, listen, you either behave yourself or you can't watch hockey over here anymore. Yeah. I, I, I'm actually like a little bit nervous what my kids are picking up and what I'm saying. I, I think last year, <laughs> little dude like said to me, when the Browns come on, mommy says, oh shit. <laughs> and I was like, well, he's not wrong. Um, but like, as long as he's not That's repeating amazing. that to like his school age friends. So um, I feel like, I feel like you need to like secretly be recording little dude at like all times in case he pops out with one of, cause like, have you, has there been something consistent that you shout? When during the Browns game, like if little dude starts saying he's wide ass open, then yeah. maybe. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I, and that's like what scares me the most is because I don't even think they realize that these are like words that I shouldn't be saying and that they also shouldn't be saying because <laughs> <laughs> they hear it on Sundays a lot. <laughs> you have to, I maybe should like make a rule in your house. Be like, okay, guys, these are, these words are only for mommy and daddy and only on Sundays, maybe Monday saying- and Thursday like cheese and rice, you know, like doing the kid appropriate ones. They'll, they'll like that. So Sunday words, call them Sunday words, Sunday words, their mommy's Sunday words. <laughs> or maybe Monday or Thursday, depending. Yeah. One day you'll understand children. <laughs> Hopefully one day soon. Cause they're starting to get to that age where they kind of comprehend football, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. I've been trying to teach my daughter what the downs mean and the yellow line on the TV and what they're working towards. So she's like starting to, to pay attention a little bit more and watching and they're really into numbers and math problems these days too. So like the score they, they pay attention to of like which team has the score. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, they also like when the Browns are on because 
they get to watch like a movie to keep them distracted or they get their iPad a little bit longer. So like they're all about it. It's a very special day in, in the Rust household. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> uh, all right. So the other thing we wanted to talk about from an offensive standpoint, we'll, we'll get off of Baker for now, but Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt are impossible to stop in the second half, particularly the fourth quarter. Um, I love watching. You can see the soul escaping from the defense when you <laughs> pound the ball in the fourth quarter. It, it is so gratifying to watch. Um, and I saw this stat today. I think it was um, Jake Burns that had posted on his Twitter account. But Nick Chubb is averaging 12 and a half yards per carry in the fourth quarter. Oh my God, that's amazing. Isn't that amazing? I, yeah, because I remember last year Chubb's uh, yards per carry were around four, which is still really, really good because it was one of those things where, you know, hand the ball to Chubb a few times and you're going to get your first down, but 12 yards to carry. I, I'm just, I was a little upset that we had to wait until the fourth quarter to kind of see that explosiveness, mostly because I wanted to see a little more separation in the score because, um, I was not, uh, (laughs) I was a little on edge, but, uh, yeah, just that is such an amazing stat. Like Nick Chubb is, he is unmatched and I hope that Andrew Barry, like I know Andrew Barry is smart enough and I know he knows what the Browns have, but I just, I hope that they can find it in their budget and their hearts to pay Nick Chubb because he deserves every penny and then some. And I really hope that he kind of breaks that idea of you don't pay running backs yeah, I in agree. the NFL, because I think that's sort of the main argument that people are using against paying Nick Chubb is, well, you don't pay running backs in the NFL. And I'm like, well, why not? I mean, I, I know why not. Yeah, but I know, because it's like plug and play in a lot of people's minds. Yeah, I mean, and plus they, they also get hurt a lot more. They get hit yeah. a lot more, so their shelf life is shorter. So that's another reason for not wanting to pay a running back because they're not going to be having, you know, 15-year careers. Like, they're going to have, like, six-year careers and then probably be done. So I get it, but, man, when you have a player like Nick Chubb, you just – you have to find it in your budget to pay him. Like maybe he can get an Andrew Berry special where it's like good money, but like one year deals or something. Yeah. And it, this, this is also frustrating to me, but it, I also get annoyed because I don't even feel like Nick Chubb gets the love or the credit that he deserves from anyone outside of Browns fans. But does he want it though? Because no, he, he doesn't, was... but I don't care. Cause I want it. <laughs> I care. You just, you do. I am well, like Nick Chubb's number one. I'm going to run his fan account. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to get on Twitter and tweet for him. <laughs> I will. I will be angry tweeting for Nick. Oh Chubb. my God. <laughs> yeah. It's one of those things that like, if, if the Browns don't pay him, which I, I hate saying that. I don't, I don't want to like, but here's the thing, every there are 31 other teams that are going to be salivating. Oh, I don't even want to think. Don't even stop. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's why you pay him. That's why you pay him. So I just anyone who's throwing out the don't pay Nick Chubb, like you're not a Browns fan. That's what I've decided. You know, you're not a Browns fan if you don't want to pay Nick Chubb. Listen, I saw so many things being floated around the internet yesterday about contracts and who we should and shouldn't be paying. And again, we're eight and three. We're eight and three. Like so many things can happen between now and the Super Bowl <laughs> because we're going to be at the Super Bowl. So we shouldn't be having these conversations. Okay. Just let us live. Let us enjoy this moment, everyone. And then we can talk about contracts in the off season after we win our Super Bowl. I mean, I do, I do get the contract discussion because Nick Chubb and Baker were drafted in the same year. So the rookie contracts are going to be up yeah. at the same time. So I, I get it. 
like I said, I understand the philosophy behind don't pay running backs. I understand the contract argument. I get it. I just don't want it. Like, I don't have to like it. Right. Like I can understand it, but I still don't get, I don't still don't have to like it. Yeah. That's why I just want to live in the moment. That's yeah. why Andrew Barry gets paid for that shit. We don't. <laughs> I know. I just, I, I would be so stressed out if I was Andrew Barry right now, because that's probably exactly what I'd be looking at because you know, Baker Mayfield doesn't necessarily deserve a monster extension, but I think he has at this point earned his fifth year contract. Uh, I think also uh, we are at the point where you can't be looking at the draft. I mean, obviously can't be yeah. looking at the draft. Yeah. They're, you know, winning too many games for that. There's no quarterback on the free agent market or who, who is going to be on the free agent market that you can pick up. Like Baker is, is it, he is the best option for the Browns right now and possibly the best option for the Browns in the future. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, except for the part where if you want to keep him, you're going to have to pay him a decent amount of money and he may not be worth a monster contract. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, But again, I like what I'm seeing out of Baker and it would be really nice to give him an off season with this, system and with Stefanski to be able to figure things out. But I think, I think Baker Mayfield stock is rising in, in my mind. So I think so too. And we should probably start keeping a running list of all the things we compare him to. So right now, Brittany compared him to a Nissan and I compared him to your kids. Yes. That's, <laughs> that, we, I love a good analogy. <laughs> so we're just, we're just going to keep a, like a running list of all the things that we compare Baker Mayfield to. Yeah. Yes, we can. We can do that. Um, the one last thing I wanted to talk about before we move on from Brown specific stuff is Kevin Stefanski, our love, Zaddy. Zaddy. I would say, and I don't know if you agree or not, but I would say he didn't have a great game yesterday in terms of coaching. Um, had a couple of misses overall, uh, but again, he still got the victory. So I would say that that again speaks volumes, but a couple of things that I listed out was his game management was a little bit questionable at the beginning of the half. It got better as, as the game went on. Um, he had some weird challenges. He, he challenged the Harrison Bryant no-catch um, review. It was clearly not going to be overturned. I almost feel like he did that to try and spare Harrison Bryant's feelings because that poor kid did have, He had a terrible day yesterday. So I almost, so I feel like Kevin Stefanski was maybe doing that. Like, I feel like he was sacrificing a timeout and a challenge to be like, hey, buddy, like, we get it. You're trying. <laughs> I thought Harrison was going to cry on the sidelines and oh I my god, showing him. Yes. Stop showing him. There was one scene when the camera flashed over to him, uh, you know that scene in uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off? Yes. Uh, where Cameron is sitting catatonic in the pool. That's what Harrison Bryant looked like on the sidelines yesterday. I, I, I like literally was like, I, my heart is breaking for this kid. Felt I know. So, so I, I feel like that challenge was like Kevin Stefanski trying to like throw him a, a little bit of a bone saying, hey, I get Maybe. it. You're having, you're having a bad day. And then I was also thinking about some of the other plays that he called, like he wasn't calling, he called no quarterback sneaks, which was a little interesting. I wanted to bring that up the fourth and inches. So I'm almost wondering if he kind of looked at this game and said, okay, this is the game where I want to try X, Y, Z because it's the Jags and it's Mm. a much lower risk. Because if you think about it, things like the banana plays, like that's not something that he's going to call in the rain and the snow. He's not going to call a banana play against the Steelers. 
but he calls those those plays against the teams that he doesn't think are going to be able to defend them because when you call those trick plays they have to work because if they don't work then it's you know and then it's everything's out the window so I'm almost wondering if he was trying something different or experimenting with things because he felt like it was low risk against the Jags yeah, it's definitely possible. This is also the first game not in inclement weather after the bye week, too. So, like, it feels yeah. like if they made any adjustments in terms of the offense and the playbook, this would have been the game to do that, given yeah. the fact that they weren't dealing with snow and rain and sleet and a limited playbook. A lot of things get forgiven when you win. Yes, I totally agree. And I, I do appreciate it. I don't know if you had a chance to listen to his post-game presser. I'm sure that you did. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, he always takes as much blame if not all the blame oh yeah like there's there's none of the like finger pointing happening it's always I could have done better exactly like yeah that. that's yeah, what you should of- be doing as a coach and a leader but so often we've had coaches that did not do that I'm gonna watch the tape <laughs> gotta go look at the tape I don't practice penalties how many times do we hear that <laughs> yeah, oh my god like I uh, don't do that okay cool well, that's what they're doing it the yeah that quote that was the so the tape the driving the bus the the penalties i don't coach for, oh my yeah, god I if i penalties, i don't coach penalties if sunday if i didn't work <laughs> on sundays if i wasn't working for the browns radio network on sundays and i was say at home watching these things as a fan i would have turned that into a drinking game halfway through the season <laughs> like take a shot every time you hear the words bus penalties and tape and then have nine one dialed and be ready to dial that third one (laughs) that's the one when you get alcohol poisoning those were dark dark days dark days we are we are in the sunlight now baby eight and three in the sunlight well coach Stefanski is going to have his work cut out for him next week we already talked about we're going to be obviously facing the juggernaut titans with derrick henry i have no idea who's going to tackle him it it might Um, have to be the entire defense so I, Stefanski said today that Miles Garrett is on his way back, yes. which is a good thing because I truly believe that Miles Garrett is the only person <laughs> on the Browns defense that can match up against Derrick Henry because he is a large, large human, human being. And that's one of the things that's so impressive about him is that he's like six foot three, weighs 240, I think, 240, 250, 0% body fat. And for someone who is that large and that muscular, for him to be that fast. I know. That's what's the most impressive thing. That was, he was like that when he was at Alabama. He has been like that since the Titans drafted him. He has just been outstanding because he is a monster of a human and he's like the Flash. (laughs) And I mean, Miles Garrett is kind of a similar body where it's, you know, the 6'3", 250 plus with you know nothing but muscles so that's why i'm just like oh my god miles like because denzel ward wouldn't be able to block him denzel ward is like he's a toothpick oh my god denzel ward. he would just bounce off of him <laughs> yes he would be like that would be like little dude trying to tackle you like it's just <laughs> it's like that's it so i just think a daryl hodge said, today said that this is going to be jack conklin's uh revenge game and i really hope that he Ooh, treats it like good. that i hope so yeah because yes. the other thing about the Titans is it's not like their defense is like a shutdown defense. So again, 
it's all going to go back to, do we have faith in the offense? Can we outscore the Titans? Because it may come down to that again. And listen, yeah. I'm excited to see the battle of running backs. Nick Chubb, Kareem against, versus Derrick Henry. Like, give me that. Sign me up. All day. They better flex this game. Why, why have they not, like, made this game? I Because I, th- I think the deadline was last Tuesday to flex it. It was either Tuesday or Wednesday. So, the, yeah, so the deadline to flex this weekend's game is past i think the only thing that can cause it to be flexed is if other games get moved around um so i think as it stands whatever the schedule is as of right now is going to stay that way um well i mean i wouldn't mind it getting flexed to 4 25 so i'm not waking up at 5 a.m but i'm not i don't like those night games though i don't like getting to bed after i don't like getting to, i don't like getting home from work at three o'clock in the morning so it's yeah. a selfish reason for me not wanting to wanting it to be in sunday night football but yeah, that's, it's going to be a fun game. And I think it's going to be, it's going to be one of those, like whoever has the ball last is going to win the game. Uh, they're going to have to put up at least 45 because they're just, this offense is going to have to put up as many points as possible just because I don't know how this defense is going to match up against Derek. Henry and plus Ryan Tannehill has been pretty solid yeah this year like the I mean Derrick Henry gets all the credit for the Titans offense but Ryan Tannehill has been a really good quarterback for them this year so I mean I don't want to count out his passing game either well yeah we get killed when it comes to slant passes and I'm sure they'll be doing a lot like they'll be able to identify our weaknesses on defense and just keep chipping away I mean good teams and well-coached teams are able to do that especially so and Bra- I think Brable is a very good coach. Yeah. And I think they'll have a pretty solid game plan about going against this Browns team. But again, you know, who knows? The Browns probably have a chip on their shoulder from last year and all the things that were said following that game. And, and I hope that that's that was a storyline that they used to their advantage. I mean, if Baker Mayfield ever needed a chip on his shoulder, yep. it would be revenge for that season opener last year. Oh my God. That was yeah, a painful game horrible. to watch. So it's got to be better than that so I hope uh when Baker gets home every night Emily is showing him highlights from last year's Titans game yes I think that opening drive was the only good thing that happened in that game and that was it yeah they need to uh get on their pelotons and watch highlights (laughs) (laughs) from last year's Titans game just to get ready for this this Sunday all right well Wrapping up with our last topic of the show, just moving on to the the total NFL. I want to talk about this because I find it very annoying. And it obviously semi-impacts us a little bit given who the teams are involved. But can someone explain to me how the NFL decides how to respond to COVID outbreaks? Because it really just feels like they only care about protecting certain teams, Ravens, in this situation. So as everybody knows at this point in time, the COVID situation is out of control based on a coach, a strength and conditioning coach breaking protocol. The game against Steelers that was supposed to be played on Thanksgiving night got moved to originally Sunday, which then got moved to Tuesday, which now got moved to Wednesday, Wednesday at 3.30 in the afternoon. <laughs> which I sent you this tweet and I quote tweeted it as well. Uh, the reason the game is at... 340 in the middle of the afternoon is because the game was slated to be on NBC. It is still going to be on NBC, but apparently NBC has committed to airing the national Christmas tree. The lighting. tree. Yes, yes that is. The, yeah. Yeah. So they're committed to airing the lighting of the 
Christmas tree at Rockefeller Center in New York City. So uh, Ravens and Steelers, for as much as the NFL is catering to them, um, apparently Christmas tree lightings do not overcome the NFL. As they shouldn't. But listen, <laughs> I mean, we've talked about this the entire, like the entire theme of this podcast has been the Browns continuously get screwed by everything, the refs, mm. the, whatever. If this were the Browns facing the Steelers and they had a multitude of COVID outbreaks happening and they were supposed to play on Thanksgiving, NFL would have been like, hey, Brown squad, get your practice squad guys on the team. Go sign Joe 747-9801 from Twitter as a starting <laughs> linebacker and you're good to go. You yeah, can't tell me different. I know it's hard because they were making a lot of concessions for the Titans at the beginning of the year too. Because I think the Titans had two games that were moved because they had a COVID outbreak because their first COVID outbreak happened and then that pushed. And I think that was actually the Titans game against the Steelers. Yes. Um, and then the reason they had a second little outbreak is because they broke the protocol. Team, yeah. Again. They, they broke protocol and they, they still got that game moved and they still played it. So uh, I think also with this, the NFL is trying to avoid a week 18 as much as possible. So I think that has a lot to do with it. I think they're trying to bank on the idea that this is going to be the last COVID outbreak in the huh. NFL, um, which there's still, there's a lot of season left. And especially yeah. with the holidays and the colder weather, like there's just, you can't, this, this virus is so unpredictable that you can't just look at this and say, okay, guys, because if, if the Titans were a warning to the NFL, clearly, well, it didn't work because now it's happening with the Ravens. And I think also, you know, the Ravens are good money. They're like, it, when the Ravens are good, it's good for the NFL. And I think the NFL is kind of not, and this is all conspiracy theory. This isn't a fact. This is just opinion. I'm putting on my tinfoil hat. I could be completely off base, but I feel like the NFL is like frustrated that Lamar Jackson and the Ravens aren't as good as they should be this year, because you'd be looking at an undefeated Steelers team, a powerhouse Super Bowl, Super Bowl contending Ravens team, because that's what they were saying about the Ravens before the season started. This is a Super Bowl contender. That's how we reconciled the Browns' loss against them. Well, they lost to a Super Bowl contender. We expected this, blah, blah, blah. So you have that plus a surging Browns. Like, all of this, all of these storylines are great for the NFL. But if the Ravens aren't playing, and if Lamar Jackson isn't doing well, then they don't have that storyline to go off of. That Then you've got the Steelers dominating and then the Browns like knocking on the door and then that's it. So just, it wouldn't surprise me if the NFL is making concessions and you're right. They haven't really had a consistent response. Yeah. Especially when in Denver cases. Yes. Because in Denver yesterday, they were forced to play a wide receiver at the quarterback position when their entire room got wiped out due to COVID. So it's just, it's weird to me that this happened so early on in the season with the Titans and having to deal with how they handle the whole situation. And then it feels like they just make up the rules as they go, which feels pretty typical for the NFL. Like they literally had from March until the season kicked off to try to figure things out. And I just don't understand how they, they didn't plan for the worst to say the least. Like you could have added a couple of additional weeks in place by weeks, potentially in case you had these outbreaks and situations if you weren't going to have a bubble like the like the N or sorry the NBA and I know the MLB had the initial breakouts first and they got it underway but they had a ton of rules in place for the MLB as well um I just 
to me, it's just ineptitude in the NFL. Yeah. And I think also the NFL was kind of taking a wait and see approach with a lot of this. They for sure were like, they probably thought it was going to go away because in yeah. the summer, you know, you have cases that it, I don't know if it ever leveled off, but it wasn't as large as it was in March. But again, your season is played in the winter when just in general viruses run rampant. Yeah. I mean, and I, obviously the cases in the country are so much worse and so much higher now than they were in March. And I, it's tough because, and the NBA and the MLB, or excuse me, NBA and NHL did a complete bubble, like total bubble, nobody in, nobody out to the point where, you know, guys in the NBA were ordering hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of stuff on Amazon because they were so bored in those hotels. I had a colleague who was sent to the bubble to cover the games. And after three days, he tried to get kicked out of the bubble because he was so bored. Like it was bad. And you can't ask, uh, the thousands of people involved in NFL games to live their lives in a hotel for four to five months. That's, that's not possible. That's not feasible. That's not fair. So I think that's kind of the NFL looking at things. They're like, oh, well, let's see how this works. Let's see how these other leagues do it. So then, you know, basketball and hockey do complete bubbles, which they were able to do because it was only partial seasons. Yeah. And they were Major- close to the end of the season. For the yeah. And, and baseball did like, a kind of bubble, but their season only lasted two months yep. and physical contact in baseball is so much smaller. And yes. plus the, the teams, the personnel, like what's required for a baseball team is much less than a football team. So I think that the NFL made a huge mistake in, you know, not operating in a bubble themselves in terms of looking at their themselves independently of other sports. Like that you can't, look at those other sports and rely on what they're doing and use that as a model. And I think that's what they were trying to do. And then they realized that bubbles weren't going to work for them. And then it was just a wait and see. And then they ran out of time. And I think, again, like I said, this feels like them trying to avoid a week 18. Yeah. It's just odd. I don't even, I don't know at this point, like, do they cut the season short? Cause you have teams that there's, there's nothing to play for. Yeah. You know, and, and we've, you've been there as a Browns team before outside of a draft pick, right? Mm-hmm. But like, what, what is, is it worth it for those teams to continue to subject themselves to the risk of the virus to go out there? Like, is it even motivating? Obviously the pay is there. So you have to pay in order to get played. You have to play in order to get paid. Um, but I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, because there's really only a handful of teams right now that have something to play for. Yeah, and the there were a lot of players on the Patriots team that opted out before the season even started. Yeah. There were a lot. I think that's one of the things that we forgot because it feels like it happened. I mean, it didn't happen ago. a long time ago. But yeah, the Patriots had a lot of guys just say, we're not going to play this season at all. So, you know, and, you know, once you start, you can't go back and say like, oh, wait, no, never mind. Because, yeah, you've got the Jaguars that, you know, at this point they're looking for a draft pick. And who else? There's one other team team that was hashtag tanking for Trevor. I can't think of it right now, but, um, yeah, yeah. (laughs) but that, but yeah, that's like a really tough thing. And I hadn't really thought of that before until you brought it up. It was like, yeah, not only are they risking their bodies, you know, because an injury can happen at any moment. They're also risking their respiratory health Yes, because there's no telling how their body is going to react to the virus. It could be one of those things where they get it, They've got some severe symptoms for, for a few days and then they make a full recovery. Or it could be like Rudy Gobert, who I, I read a report in, 
gosh, what was it, July or August, that even though he didn't technically have the virus anymore, he was still experiencing symptoms. Oh, yeah. Like three months after he tested positive, he was still experiencing symptoms. And he is an elite athlete. So that's another hard thing for the NFL players to look at is, you know, this is one of like I am taking a risk that yeah, if I do contract, yeah, if I do contract COVID, I don't know if I'm going to be one of the people that recovers in a few days, or if I'm going to be one of the people that has long term, like everlasting health effects from it. Yep, all fair points. All right, well, that's really all we have for this evening. This was fun. We miss Brittany obviously on the show tonight. We hope that she is feeling better, and we'll be back next week. Yes, we um, do know that the Cavs have. Uh, release their city edition uniforms. We are oh saving. We are saving the Cavs talk for when Brittany comes back. Yeah, because yeah, I, can't I wait. think, <laughs> I think we have. I think all three of us are going to have a lot of opinions on those jerseys. <laughs> I, you guys already know this. I, no, I, I'll save it. I'll save it for next week. Yeah, um, we'll, we'll definitely have to talk about it next week. <laughs> thank you guys all for tuning in. Don't forget, if you were able to make a donation to our Providence House fundraiser, again, go ahead and visit our site. It's Giving Tuesday. Any amount helps us out. Um, That will end on Sunday. So please check our website out for more information on that. Um, As always, thanks for listening and downloading us on Spotify, Apple's iTunes. Um, Don't forget to rate and review us. We love hearing what you guys have to say. And we look forward to talking to you guys all next week.